trial by Senate. The Fury Theory starts right now. The Fury Theory podcast brought to you by EFB Advocacy. The House votes once again to send two articles of impeachment to the Senate. Nancy Pelosi uses 57 souvenir pens to give her stamp of approval. And the seven impeachment managers slowly walk them over to the rotunda, where they surely will die an unceremonious death. John Easton, the question is not if this will end up in acquittal, it's when. How long will this whole fiasco take? I think that a lot of people are wondering that that very thing right now. And I, I was asking a senior Senate staffer yesterday, and she thought two to three weeks, if you listen to the White House and their interviews over the last 24 hours, they're, of course, saying two weeks. But uh, as with any trial, it's things can get unpredictable after it starts. I think if there are witnesses you're talking about this going through the State of the Union and through the Iowa caucuses. So I think uh, many people would like to avoid that, including a couple of Democrats we know. Uh, but I think that uh, most of this is preordained, and I would I would bet on two to three weeks. Adam Belmar, uh, the media is very upset because the Senate has put some rules to restrict their ability to ask questions of the Senate. Uh, this the the uh, Roy Blunt is a good friend of EFB and a, a, a head of the House Senate Rules Committee uh, has put these restrictions in place because they don't want to have what happened to, during the Judge Kavanaugh hearings where a bunch of protesters harass senators with the media all around. Uh, is this going to be some major blowback on this? No, I, I really don't think so. Uh, I was a working journalist when President Clinton was impeached. I was up there. There were stricter rules around that time than we had uh, normally. Um, the sergeant at arms in the Senate at that time is a, is a personal family friend. Um, and he's been quoted as saying, you know, people are like water. They just go everywhere. And he's absolutely right. Um, the, the, the press is always going to whine. They want the best possible situation for themselves, no restrictions, and uh, it's just inappropriate. We're in a post-9-11 area where security is important, um, and there's always a way to make a connection with a journalist. You might know something about that, whether they hound you down the hallway or capture that harassment by an activist. That's, again, that's just show. Um, I think that these rules will be there to protect everybody and have a much more reasonable coverage of what is a solemn and serious uh, occasion. So to that point, I was in the Senate uh, chef the other day and a phalanx of black clad older women and men with T-shirts that said impeach, convict Trump or whatever. They had, oh, it was all anti-Trump. Or Trump is guilty, what they said. And they whispered to everybody in the, in the Senate chef, Trump is guilty. And it was the weirdest thing. And they were phalanxed by some cops. I mean, the, the idea, John Easton, that there are protesters, their protesters are coming. And they, they want to influence the trial. Well, sure. And, and this we saw this during the, the uh, Brett Kavanaugh confirmation hearings with many of the senators. I mean, look who got... Uh, boxed in Susan Collins at, at her own. It could barely even leave her own office. You had Jeff Flake at, outside the elevator who apparently that protester may have affected his uh, behavior from then on out. It was it was just bizarre. 
I agree with Adam, you know, having been there and having walked with senators through many, many places, both on in the Capitol and the Senate buildings and, and beyond, uh, it can get very dicey. You know, there is one other thing that you will hear if you're here in part of the Washington audience, and that is that there is a ban on electronic devices in the gallery, even to be employed by the, the members of the press. Let me tell you, I sat in the Senate gallery under those same restrictions, albeit 20 some odd years ago, we had fewer opportunities to bring electronic gadgetry into the Senate gallery when the hearings or you know, when the, when the actual trial was going on. But if your news organization is serious about covering these things, then have more than one or more than four humans in different locations and let the right humans sit there and soak up what's going on in that in that uh, hearing and then come back and report on it. You can't one man ban this thing. So that's an interesting point, Adam. And uh, John Easton, Susan Collins, who's, you're close to the Collins office. I mean, she's been kind of quoted as saying, this actually will be good to be kind of a back to the throwback. But folks without their electronic devices, can you imagine these senators having to sit without their electronic devices on the Senate floor and not have any contact and actually have to listen to each other? It's going to be fascinating. <laughs> and it's, uh, it'll probably be about time. I think that they did release uh, the rules of decorum for the senators during this trial. And that includes, as you said, no phones or electronic devices. And this is what really, really gets me is uh, no reading materials other than those that pertain to this trial, to the matter at hand. And that is what senators never do on the Senate floor, and particularly when they are taking turns presiding over the Senate during some boring you know, resolution that might be debated on a, on a Monday night. Uh, they routinely bring with them uh, photographs to sign, you know, uh, you know, congratulations letters. I mean, just very ceremonial stuff because I mean, they, they, they are saddled with this stuff. I mean, that's just reality. And they can't do that. And not only that, but they're going to be watching from the gallery and seeing what these these senators are doing. So if they try to break that rule of decorum, I think that they're probably going to get busted. And if you remember uh, when John McCain was in the Senate, he was caught playing video poker. (laughs) (laughs) There ain't going to be any video poker uh, on this whole thing. Uh, Adam Belmar, thinking about this and thinking about how this goes forward, the media has been really kind of cheering for Trump's impeachment. Um, and you, know, you had uh, this interview last night with uh, Lev Parnas, Lev Parnas, and and Rachel Maddow. Someone asked me if I watched this, the show. No, I did not watch it. Did you watch it? No, um, I did. I think what most uh, rational people did. They watched the clips on Twitter and YouTube and all the news notes this morning. It's uh, it's just a big circus, and you never know what pony or what trick is going to be let out next, and. Uh, you know, I don't know if Lev Parnas's treasure trove of uh, notes are real or fake, if he was working for Giuliani, against Giuliani, with the president's knowledge or not, but he may well make an excellent spokesperson for the Hair Club for Men at some point. But probably not a witness. John Easton, what's going to happen with the whole witness thing? Are they going to call witnesses? Uh, Ted Cruz has this idea, well, you know, if you want to call one witness... If you want to call, you know, John Bolton, we're going to call Hunter Biden. Each person gets their witness. Do you think that's going to work out? Or do you think to the point on no electronic devices that the senators get so antsy that they just want to go for as uh, get this over with as quickly as possible? Well, that that is really the wild card here is, you know, the the, the politically, I think the Democrats are obviously making this case that and they want to set up. 
the notion that this was an unfair trial in the Senate. They're going to set up this notion that this was a cover up by the Republican senators to protect Donald Trump. But on the other side of that coin is Nancy Pelosi and and Adam Schiff saying for long, they've been saying uh, the, the evidence is overwhelming. It's overwhelming, 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 overwhelming. Well, okay, if it's that overwhelming, you probably don't need many more witnesses and you don't need the Senate to conduct a parallel investigation. So which one is it? And and I think that it does open up sort of that um, unpredictability, even for the, for the Democrats. Like you start to open that up. And I do think that, you know, to Cruz's objective here, to his goal of one-to-one, I actually think that most Americans would think that's pretty fair. You know, each side gets a witness of their own choosing. Now, in in the House investigation, the White House really didn't get to choose much at all. I mean, they were pretty much excluded from the from the proceedings, particularly the private proceedings. And in the Senate, I just think it's going to be there's going to be much more discipline, thanks to Mitch McConnell, and and much more precision about how each phase of this goes. Well, unless the White House gets involved, because we don't know uh, Adam Belmar. Where Donald Trump is on this stuff. So, so he said earlier he wants a long trial. Now he's like, I want a short trial. They can't get the acquittal that he wanted right away. I mean, you know, Trump's kind of all over the place, isn't he? He is all over the place. Uh, whatever today's rhetoric is does not necessarily determine tomorrow's. And I think that uh, the things that we're waiting to hear from the White House are, will the White House cancel Pat Simple and be the, the lead uh, defender of the president there or not? Um Additionally, I think like any good war scenario, you know, a plan is only as good until the, the somebody gets hit in the mouth, right? So as soon as the chief justice of the Supreme Court takes reign over a Senate trial and the senators are left muted as jurors to listen, anything can and might happen. Um, and we are going to have to wait and see on this whole issue of witnesses and whether it's long or it's short. And I'm not sure that anyone can truly predict how this will break because Roberts has got a lot of latitude, John. Well, he doesn't really call the shots, though. And and that's the, the thing of, that we don't know is, is, you know, by the Constitution, the White House is not calling shots. It is 51 uh, members of the United States Senate. Now, if Mitch McConnell has 51 members behind him, he can do pretty much what he wants. And, 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 and that's where some of these, at times, wayward Republican senators, if you want to call it that, can really influence the outcome of this. You have you know, senators such as Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski. Uh, they, they may feel like, ah, we need to hear a little bit more. And they actually may be right at times. I think to come out of this where, where a lot of the public feels like that was a pretty good airing of, of both sides. I think that is important. And I think that's important to the Republican Senate, to their, the 2020 campaigns of, of the Senate. Uh, so there's a, a little bit of protection that needs to be built in there. But honestly, this is, this is really up to what Mitch McConnell um, can't, what kind of support he can garner from 51. Um, this is a political judgment. And the politics of this Adam Belmar are actually really interesting to me. Uh, you had this, the, the House work on these uh, voted for impeachment. Nancy Pelosi had her big press conference. At the same time, 
President Trump had his big press conference with the, the, bill uh, the, signing, the vice right? president of China right. talk about the, the phase one. You had the Dow go up over 29,000 for the first time. You have USMCA. And the president is actually doing stuff while good stuff that both Republicans and Democrats should think is is good. You know, good trade, having more, more fair, fair trade policies with Mexico, Canada and China is something that all Americans should support. And most this is both of these things are bipartisan, but yet this, the this, the Senate uh, is forced to do this impeachment uh, trial because of the partisanship of the Democrats. How, how are the optics here? Well, I would agree with your point that uh, the president is looking pretty good right now. He's out there in the hustings doing all kinds of political rallies. He's he's speaking directly to his base. He's demonstrating progress on uh, major campaign issues like the uh, the trade war with China, as you mentioned. I think also the optics are a little bit uh, better today than they were even yesterday on the Democratic side. If you take a look at the managers who were appointed, you got some solid citizens of the House uh, and their divorce group. Uh, including African-Americans and women and people of substance uh, who are house managers to go uh, under the leadership of Adam Schiff. Um, and so all of this is, is, is very similar to the podcast that we did last year calling the State of the Union the Super Bowl of politics. Everybody's teams are gearing up for the big game. Um, and as John Easton pointed out, all of these competing optics are going to go on, even as the State of the Union is likely coinciding with um, this impeachment. I don't think that people, honestly, my opinion, have the appetite to process all of it. They're going to wait for somebody to declare a winner and a loser and just figure it out from there. Um, John Easton, talking about winners and losers, it's got Joe Biden's got to be the winner here if his main rivals have to spend all their time before the Iowa caucuses. Uh, sit, sitting in judgment on Donald Trump. They can't talk to anybody. They can't campaign. They can't do any major stuff. Does this help Joe Biden? And and Pete Buttigieg. I mean, I, I would say both of them. But but Biden, because he's the front runner, sure, it helps them. I mean, you, you know, uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar and Senator, Senator Warren and Senator Sanders can all thank Nancy Pelosi for dragging us out another three and a half Shocking. weeks. Shocking. I, I, my theory on this is that Biden is Pelosi's choice, and Pelosi is doing this to drag this out on purpose. That could be, and and I don't know. I I think that, and and Iowa's so close; it's so right. bunched together at the top with those four that uh, I don't know. In the end, you know how much this is going to make a difference. Obviously, Iowa is, and as well as New Hampshire, it's so dependent on that retail campaigning that that voter to voter and and sitting in those living rooms, uh, and they obviously take that very seriously, and they decide late. They decide extremely, like day of, many of those caucus goers decide who their candidate's going to be and they're, of course, second choice. But it's going to be interesting to see if this goes into, you know, that that far, this trial goes that far, uh, how those three senators handle their retail politics. And I think they're going to have to rely on their spouses. They're going to have to Skype. They're going to have to ratchet up their digital communications with, you know, to that micro level to make up for the fact that they can't be there. And actually, I think they might even fly out there and fly back same day if if they're on a day off. Wow. 
Yeah. I mean, they just got to do everything they can. That's a lot of carbon offsets. <laughs> That's true. All right. So um, I'm appalled. this has been a great, great discussion on this trial by the Senate. Uh, let's now go to what are you buying or selling? Adam Belmar, what are you buying or selling? It is a long weekend, and we are honoring the memory of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, on Monday. And for the Washington, D.C. audience, I'm sure everybody has seen the great memorial that was erected on the mall to the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. I am buying it and I would recommend, as I plan to do this weekend with my own children, a trip to said monument to take a look at it. It's not only beautiful, but it is evocative of a message of tolerance and nonviolent action and protests that really should be heralded today. So I'm buying uh, MLK to make this long weekend something more than just a ski weekend. Very appropriate. Uh, Johnnyson, what are you buying or selling today? Um, so yesterday, again, uh, very uh, the political irony is thick. Uh, in the Capitol yesterday, there was a wonderfully moving ceremony. Uh, the Congressional Gold Medal was given to Steve Gleason, who was is the was the popular uh, safety uh, seven year safety for the New Orleans Saints, and he was diagnosed, I believe, it was about eight years ago with ALS, and he was given this award because of his advocacy for ALS, but also um, what he has done. He set up this foundation called uh, Team Gleason that helps other ALS uh, patients with mobility, with communications. And and if you see, and it's really worth going back to, to watch, he actually, he can't talk. He's intubated. He, I mean, he, and he can't move either. So all this, he's got a, 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 uh, this wheelchair, um, that is obviously high tech and can move him around, but also he speaks with eye movement, with eye glaze, with facial movements and into a computer that reads this. And it was really, really something. So, um, and, and I'll, I'll quote from uh, his speech. He said, if we can keep exploring, share our weaknesses with each other and compassionately collaborate to solve problems, our human potential is boundless. I, I just feel like that is just an amazing a statement by him. And I think that speaks to a lot of things. One, obviously he is sharing his weakness, his ailment to benefit others, but also he's all, he, he's, he's, you know, extolling the virtues of, of research, of course, and more investment research, which of course EFB is, is uh, very much a part of and proud of. And that is my buy. That's a great one. ALS is a terrible, terrible disease. And I know people who have it and, um, uh... God, I hope they find some way to fix this. This is terrible. Um, I am selling the Houston Astros. Um, they, uh, they're a bunch of cheaters. And cheating is fine in baseball. Stealing is a big part of it. Stealing bases is a big part of it. But they were warned, specifically warned by the commissioner of baseball, not to steal electronically, not to use technology to steal signals. And yet they did it anyway. You know why they did? Because they thought they weren't going to get caught. And they're a bunch of arrogant jerks. And you know what? I am so glad that the Washington Nationals beat them in the World Series because they're a bunch of cheaters. Bye-bye, Astros. I hope you go on probation for a long time. And I think, you know, all you guys who are in the cheating world, there's a limit. And when the commissioner says don't do something and then you do it anyway, you deserve to get punished. And with that, thank you so much for tuning in to the Fury Theory Podcast brought to you by EFB Advocacy. EFB Advocacy stands for? Excellent, Excellent for, business. for Business. That's right.